Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're going to start with a commercial for Heterodox Academy. Deb Mashek is co-hosting with us today for the second time, and she's the head of the Heterodox Academy. Deb, can you give us like a quick thumbnail of what your mission is? Absolutely. So we work to create college classrooms and campuses that welcome diverse people with diverse voices. And we're focused on promoting open inquiry and constructive disagreement. And if you ask why would we bother to do such things without these exchanges and without these diverse viewpoints, important ideas go unexplored, key assumptions go unchallenged, and tribalism goes unchecked, eroding the quality of research and teaching in higher education. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting an elevator pitch. Love your enemies, Arthur Brooks. And the reason I called the book Love Your Enemies and not Be Civil to Your Enemies is because civility or tolerance are garbage standards. Anybody who says, you know, I'm, I'm, my wife and her are civil to each other, you'd say, well, you, need, you guys need counseling. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Political differences are tearing this country apart. Our nation is more polarized than it has been at any time since the Civil War. That anger is one reason that so many people feel that the country is on the wrong track. And a lot of parents worry that their children won't have the same opportunities that they've had to lead a good life. Today's episode is a joint podcast, How Do We Fix It? and Half Hour of Heterodoxy are publishing this episode together. Deb Mashek of the Heterodox Academy is joining us. Our guest is Arthur Brooks, the president of the conservative-leaning American Enterprise Institute. Arthur is a social scientist, a musician, and author of Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from the Culture of Contempt. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Great to be with you. Can you tell us about that phrase, love your enemies? It it speaks to really the the wisdom and radical teaching of the world's great religions, doesn't it? That's right. It's a subversive and it's it's sort of a crazy sounding idea. But the the idea behind most major religions ethically is that it's pretty, pretty easy, pretty conventional to love your friends. 
or to love your family, although, you know, people go in and out on that too. But to love your enemies is something entirely different. And when, when, when you look at the, the, the great religious teachers from Jesus to the Buddha, they talk about the, the, the fact that when you, when you love your enemies, you see them in a different way, you change your own heart, and as such, you don't destroy your enemies, you destroy the illusion that they were your enemies in the first place. We talk about politics, that, that we're treating each other as if we were intractable foes, enemies, and, and in point of fact, that's the wrong way of seeing each other. It's contrary to the, the, teaching of the teachings of the American founders. In your book, you write, we don't have an anger problem in American politics. We have a contempt problem. Yeah, that's right. So a- anger is a hot emotion. It's, uh, it's, it's not inherently unhealthy. It basically says, I care what you think, and I want to change the way that you think because I care about you. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting uh, little bit of literature on this in the social psychology world that, that suggests that anger is, is not highly correlated with separation and divorce among married couples. The problem is when you take anger and you mix it with another emotion, which is disgust. Disgust, which treats another person as a pathogen. Not, not their ideas, the person per se. Anger and disgust are compound, a toxic compound, kind of like mm-hmm. ammonia and bleach, where individually, <laughs> you know, they can, be, they can be troublesome, but if you put them together, they turn into a gas. And chlorine they kind of, gas. Yeah, chlorine yeah. gas. You don't Knocks want you that. Out. Yeah, that uh, figures that the editor of Popular Mechanics knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it killed a lot of people in World War I. It did, it did indeed. It did indeed. We it, should explain that Jim is the former editor-in-chief of Popular Mechanics. <laughs> yeah. for, li- for listeners of Half Hour of Heterodoxy, they may not know this stunning It's a fact. pretty cool background. But anyway, that's not my point. You know, my point <laughs> is that, that, that w- what, the kind of damage it could do, that could do to people, uh, contempt does to marriages, it does to families, it does to friends, and it does to the United States of America. What's happening is, and, and by the way, contempt was defined by Schopenhauer in the 19th century as the conviction of the utter worthlessness of another person. It's a cold emotion. Anger is hot. Contempt is cold. It says, you're not worth caring about. And when you express that, the research is very clear. People will become your enemy. That's the best way to alienate people. This is an incredibly impractical way to treat other people, because if you're talking about politics or ideology, or you want to convince other people, you want to persuade other people. The very worst way to try to persuade other people is by insulting them, by treating them with disdain, with contempt. And you, you talked about what contempt can do to our families and to our communities and to our democracy. What does contempt do to ourselves? When we feel contempt for others, what's the impact on the self? The interesting thing is when you treat another person with contempt, it's correlated with, it, with increasing levels of stress hormones, that you increase anxiety and stress in your own life when you treat other people with contempt. There's nothing good that comes with contempt. And the, the basic problem here, by the way, is not that we dislike somebody else's ideas. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having disdain for somebody's ideas because they're wrong or, or, or even bad and evil. The problem is when we conflate people's ideas with those people themselves. You know, and separating ideas from people is a critical uh, uh, ability that we're supposed to be able to, to maintain as adults. And, and yet, this is not what we're teaching on too many campuses. This is not what we're talking about in politics, even at the highest level of the American political structure. We're, we're conflating people and their ideas and dismissing them with contempt. And as such, it's creating enemies among people who should not be enemies. A lot of people might say that's fine as an argument against contempt, but your book goes a lot further than that and says love your enemies, which even for many religious folk is a very difficult concept to accept, hmm. especially in practice. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's and, and, and Richard, it's hard for me. 
I'm, yeah. I'm not going to deny it. But is it, pra- <laughs> is it practical? It, it is practical. And, and the reason I call the book Love Your Enemies and not Be Civil to Your Enemies is because civility or tolerance are garbage standards. Anybody who says, you know, I'm, I'm, my wife and her are civil to each other, you'd say, well, you, need, you guys need counseling. Yeah. Um, or that my employees tolerate me. You'd say that I have a big morale problem <laughs> in my workplace. And, and, and forget even agreement, because agreement is a terrible standard. Agreement is a form of intellectual monopoly. We need to disagree as part of the competition of ideas. So we need something that's a much higher moral standard, and we need something that, that we can, in which we can disagree better. And the standard for that is brotherly love. The standard for that is actual solidarity, is putting ourselves morally in the place of other people. And, and I believe we can do it. Now, the reason I talk about loving your enemies is because I believe that contempt in our society today is not just a, a, a terrible thing that we do. I think it's a habit that we're engaged in. When couples are quarreling and they're on their way to the divorce court, it's because they have terrible communications habits. They talk to each other in a way that's deeply, deeply suboptimal and dangerous, as a matter of fact. And so when we have the habit of treating other people with contempt, whether it's our spouse or our fellow Americans or wherever it happens to be, we need to break the habit. And to break the habit, you have to do something new in the place of the contempt that you used to feel. You have to expand the, the range, the time between the stimulus that you have, the, the feeling that you have, and the response that you choose. The tendency is to just, you treat it with contempt, you feel threatened, you feel angry, you, you respond with contempt. You take the time, choose a reaction, and you need to choose something radically subversive and positive. And that's choosing love. You have an example in the book that I really enjoyed about uh, after you wrote your first book, you got a really angry, nasty email uh, of somebody just going through chapter by chapter telling you what a complete and total idiot you are. But you handled it in a really surprising way. What happened? So I was a professor at Syracuse University before I came to the American Enterprise Institute in 2008. For 10 years, I was a professor after finishing graduate school. And I had the happiest life. Because professors have, or should have, the happiest life. You know, I was, I was beavering away in relative professorial obscurity, working with my graduate students. I'd written a bunch of books that nobody ever read because they were very boring. Um, but I wrote one book, which was equally boring. But it, a weird thing happened to me, which is it hit the news cycle in just the right way. The president said something about it. And my life changed overnight. It was a book about charitable giving. It had a lot of math in it. I remember it. Charitable giving. Yeah, it was simply an empirical book that said, who gives more, conservatives or liberals? Who gives more, secular religious people? Who gives more, poor people or rich people? And it turns out in every one of those cases, it's kind of surprising who gives the most because it contrasts with the people who think they give the most. I mean, virtue is a funny thing. Okay, so I published the book and I kind of waited for the phone to not ring. But it rang, and, and because weird things started. It just hit the news cycle just the right way, and it started selling hundreds of copies a day. And the weirdest part was not the TV and radio I started doing suddenly. It was that I started getting email uh, from total strangers by the hundreds. Anyway, a few weeks after the book comes out, I get an email from a guy in Texas. Dear Professor Brooks, you are a fraud. <laughs> now, this is yeah, a terrible way to start email. But yeah. I kept reading, and I noticed that this email is going to be like, 5,000 words long. It's super long. It's going to take me 20 minutes to get through it, but I'm game. You know, I'm good sport. And I'm reading through this email, noticing that he is, as you mentioned, is going chapter and verse every way that my book is terrible. I mean, every data set, every assertion, every equation. It was unbelievable. Like the, the, the columns of table 3.1 are reversed, you idiot. Stuff like that. And, 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 I, and I, for some reason, I was conscious of my feelings. And I noticed... I was thinking to myself, 
this guy read my book. <laughs> I was filled with gratitude because I had written tons of books and nobody read them. I mean, my family didn't read them. I mean, who would read them? And, uh, and so I decided, you know, got nothing to lose. Never met this guy. So I'm going to write him back. And I write him back. And I said, you're so-and-so. I know you hated my book. You think I'm a, you know, hopeless stooge. Really stupid. But, man, it took me two years to write that book. And I put my whole heart into it. And you read the whole thing. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you. What happened next? So 15 minutes later, I get an email back from him. And he says, Dear Professor Brooks, if you're ever in Texas and want to get some dinner, give me a call. <laughs> there you go. From enemy to friend. Now, and I didn't, I'm not some saint. You know, I'm not behaving virtuously. I just did it by accident. By the way, I did not have dinner with that guy because I didn't, you know, want to end up, you know, chained to a pipe in his basement or something weird like that. But, <laughs> but, but it did teach me this very instructive lesson that you can change your own heart because I, I felt great when I wrote back that email. Nobody's ever said, you know, I wish I'd been more of a jerk with that person. People are always glad that they passed up the opportunity to be a jerk, which I did by sheer serendipity. And then that guy, his heart changed. And I said to myself, that's an instructive lesson. That's what I think back to now that I'm more in public life and I hear insults constantly and I use them as an opportunity. Love is natural. Um, so we have love, parental love, romantic love is near as we can tell, universal. But tribalism is also natural. Mm. And I'm wondering if contempt is, is also natural. And if so, how do we stack the deck in favor of love? There's a lot of literature that suggests that people naturally form into tribes. But that, that proclivity is not destiny. We're the masters. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's this whole idea, you know, for the longest time, we were a tabula rasa, that we were, it was all environment. Then it turns out that that was wrong. And then we swung back in the other direction and it was all about our genetics. Well, the truth is, I mean, the latest thinking about how we behave is that it's kind of 100% and 100%. We have all these natural tendencies, but they have switches. They have moral switches. We have conscious actions that can turn these tendencies off and on. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, the, the, the classic example of this is that, that alcoholism is a, has a hugely genetic predisposition. But if you turn off the switch by not drinking, if you have it in your family, you're not going to be an alcoholic. And, and the same is true for tribalism. Look, if you understand it and you don't want it, you can rebel against it. You can be the master of yourself. This is the most encouraging thing about being fully human, that we're not like dogs. We're not like, you know, some pack animal. We're human beings, and we can decide to do something truly subversive for our own nature. Man, this is the most beautiful thing about these religions. I mean, the Buddha was telling people to do things that were against their nature, and that was the beautiful thing. If it feels good, do it, is the message of fools. Christianity is subversive to our nature for a reason, and that's, that's what I want. You're listening to a special edition of Half Hour of Heterodoxy, and how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Deb Bashak. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Arthur, you're a well-known conservative. And when I told a few friends that we were going to speak with you, uh, one of them said, oh, he's conservative. He's head of the American Enterprise Institute. Um, so I'm asking this as a liberal. Why should liberals read your book? That's a good question. Were you talking to my wife, by the way? Was she the one who said the... you Your a, wife is a liberal? A mixed no, my, my wife is, although I do come from a mixed family. I mean, you know, my, I'm from Seattle, and my mother was an artist. My father was a college professor. So, you know, guess what their politics were. Um, I'm sort of the black sheep, politically, of the family. Um, you know, why should they read my book? The same reason that I should read somebody's book who disagrees with me because I want to have a more interesting set of experiences. You know, the, it, what, what's really distressing about what's going on in the United States today is that we silo our sources of information such that all the, the television programs and radio shows and the newspapers and the columnists and all our sources of data of stimulus are those that say you're right and the other side is stupid. Well, I don't want to live that way. That's, that's super boring to me to live that way. And it should be boring to everybody else because, and, and by the way, it should be alarming to other people because that's exposing yourself to being manipulated being being used and being bullied by people on your own side i have data that show that seven something like seven percent of americans are kind of what i call the outrage industrial complex and they're everything from politicians to members of the media to parts of the entertainment industry to parts of academia that are manipulating other people to hate their fellow Americans because they think differently than they do. They dehumanize people, and they profit from it. They get, they get better careers. They get more clicks. They get sometimes even get rich and famous by setting American against American. So the reason that I want to read things that are outside my silo is because I want to humanize people who disagree with me. And I think that political progressives who, you know, people I grew up with, people I love— um, who, by the way, in many cases, I'm quite sure are right and I'm wrong. <laughs> I just don't know in what yet. And I'm not going to find out unless I read what they have to say. And I think we should share ideas and love each other. And you talk about a, a concept in the book called the, the motive attribution asymmetry. Yeah. I love that yeah, kind yeah. of psychological, psychological yeah. jargon. Explain that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea what that was. When yeah, I first, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great thing. And it's, it's, uh, the, there's a, a, a guy who teaches at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University named Adam Waits. And uh, Adam Waits uh, has written about motive attribution asymmetry. What is it? It's a case where two sides opposing each other in a debate or in a conflict, both sides think that they are motivated by love, but the other side is motivated by hatred toward them. You see it typically in something like the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Both sides believe that they're correct and motivated by love, and the other side is simply motivated by hatred toward their group. Now, that's something pretty conventional in a, in a, in a warfare context. What we don't like to see is in a political context, because you know, po politics is not just war by other means. It should be a way that we adjudicate disputes in a democratic and a competitive way inside a peaceful country at least the way we understand it in the United States, or should. In America, we think this is a uniquely American problem. Um, and 
It's not. It's not. I mean, it's it's, it's happening in Britain with Brexit. No, it's no. happening in the Middle East. It, it's oh no no. It's I mean, I pretty, I, I spent common. years living in Catalonia, um, uh, in Barcelona, as a matter of fact, and and there are families that can't talk to each other because of the Catalan. They can't talk to each other because of the Catalan independence question. I see families that are being ripped apart, and right here in the United States, one in six Americans has stopped talking to a family member or a close friend because of politics since the 2016 election. It's, it's catastrophic. Why? Because the level of motive attribution is symmetry. I motivated by love you if you're on the other side are motivated by hatred toward me and people like me that is as great in american politics today as it is between palestinians and israelis and that is horrible it tears people apart we don't like it we don't know how to deal with it we don't know how to fix it it's uh it's it's propelled by these communications ticks that we've got it's fired up and it's manipulated by the outrage industrial complex and we got to fix it so let's talk more concretely about that. What, what are the, the tips, the advice, the takeaway? How, how do we fix it? So let's start with um, rebellion. You know, if, if, if it is in point of fact the case that 93% of us hate how divided we are as a country, but we keep participating in, in, the, in, the, in the problems that we have, the first thing to do is to start muting the 7% of people who don't hate it and who, as such, are firing us up, that are encouraging us to fight each other, American against American, or human against human. So basically, my, my advice, my first step, step in, the, in the process is standing up to the man, <laughs> as it were, the people who are using their leadership to, to make us hate more, even though we don't want to do that, and, and have a lot of tips on how to do that. You know, Go through the list of the people that agree with you, the people that, in your favorite newspaper, the people on TV, the people on, that you're listening to in media, your, maybe your favorite professor who says, you're right, and the other side is stupid and evil. Make a list of them, not on the other side. Make a list of the people on your side and X them out. It doesn't mean being contemptuous toward them. It means, it means self-defense. It means muting those voices such that you can get a, a clearer view of what's actually going on around you without being blinded to it. That's step one. Another step that you talked about was as you're trying to interact with people in a positive way, if you can't quite muster up love at least you can fake it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that isn't one of the steps, but it's related to the steps for sure, because one of the, one of the steps is don't show contempt for anybody under any circumstances. But you, you can't break a habit by saying just don't do it. You can't say to somebody, just don't smoke. The, the way to stop smoking is to do something every time you want to smoke. Why? Because the nucleus accumbens, the part of your brain that governs habits, requires reprogramming. And the way that you reprogram it is you get a stimulus, you wait before you react, and you put something else instead of the old reaction. So you, every time you want to smoke, you know, drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> for example. Okay, so every time you feel uh, that you feel contempt, what do you do? You show, I have this story in there about asking the Dalai Lama this question, what do I do when I feel contempt, your holiness? And he said, show warm-heartedness. It's very Dalai Lama, right? Very Buddhist. And I said, what if I don't feel warm-hearted? And he says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because, you know, attitude follows action. You can make the personality you want. If you want to, show, if you want to feel more grateful, show more gratitude. If you want to be more loving to your spouse... Act as if you were more loving. It's, it's an extraordinary thing. If you want to be happier, smile, crinkling up the corners of your eyes, which are these little muscles called the orbicularis oculi muscles, that, and they govern a truly happy smile. Is that faking it? It is faking it, and that's the beautiful thing. that You can fake it, and you can build the cognitions that you want. You're, you're, not a, you're not a slave to your emotions. On the contrary, you can change your emotions. What are the, the, the most illustrative and interesting teachings about, about humanity that the Buddhists uh, teach is that the, that the emotions are an illusion. 
emotions are an illusion of what's actually going on around us. Emotions are useful for, for helping us to, to, to process actual experiences around us and to process threats, for example. But they're an illusion a lot of the time. Since your emotions tend to trick you, <laughs> you need to actually own your emotions. Is that right, Deb? You're, you're the psychologist. I concur. <laughs> what Thank about, you, doctor. Yes. What about uh, step number three? Step number three is to get out of your bubble. Oh, yeah. Is to go where you're not invited necessarily. Say things people don't expect and listen to people who disagree with you with love. It's so empowering to do this. These days, it's harder and harder to find people who disagree with you because we're deeply siloed. Part of it is this this terrible and metastatic influence of social media. And social media is what people cocoon themselves in. They substitute human relationships with virtual relationships with people. And that's a dangerous thing to do because every link, every human link you make, you break with somebody and put in an electronic link instead, you will become more depressed. You will become more anxious. You will become more lonely. It's very dangerous, very bad thing to do. Social media should never be a substitute for relationships, only ever a compliment. But it's also a dangerous business because you can surround yourself. You can curate your friend group in ways that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. You can silo your information. You can also do this by going to university where you only take classes and talk to people where people agree with you. And this happens all the time at, at major American universities. They were designed so that different people would be mixed together. But in, we get more homogeneity. We get more racial and gender diversity, but we get more ideological homogeneity. Very dangerous business. Don't do that. Fight against that. Find people who are really, really different. Embrace idea diversity. It's a thrill, actually. <laughs> that's, that's right at the core of heterodoxy. Yeah. I know it is. That's yeah. why this is really heroic work that you're doing. This is the reason, by the way, that, that, that heterodox and all, all the affiliates, the products, and the things that you're doing at, at, at Heterodox Academy are, are getting really famous really fast. Because you do this stuff and people go, oh, oh, yes. Oh, I want that. I want that so bad. Which is really encouraging to me. That's the first half of two episodes that we're doing with Arthur Brooks, a fascinating guest, the author of Love Your Enemies, and part two will be coming up next week. And uh, if you're listening to this weeks after we host it, then don't forget to go to the next episode with Arthur. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and the music is composed by Lou Stravinsky. We're a production of Davies Content. Check us out if you're interested in making a podcast at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.